On this episode of BTR News, I talked to Haitian-born writer and self-care advocate MJ Fievre about her Badass Black Girl book series, The Trials and Tribulations of Badass Black Girl Naomi Osaka, and taking a stand on her self-care and why she chose to represent Japan in the Olympic Games and the current challenges facing Haiti after the assassination of its president. BTR News welcomes author, social media content creator, and self-care advocate MJ Fiev about her recent book series, Badass Black Girl. She has been writing since she was 19 years old when she first signed a publishing contract, and her writings are known throughout Europe and the French Antilles. After nine books she wrote in, in French were published, in addition to discussing her latest book series, we are also going to touch upon the story about Naomi Osaka, the tennis player uh, who is of Haitian descent through her father and her withdrawing from a couple of tennis tournaments to take care of her mental health. Uh, and she's still catching a whole lot of flack because of that. Um, let's go ahead and welcome her in. MJ, do we have you? Hi, Scotty. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, thank you for for joining us. You know, um, that title of your book series, Badass Black Girl, really caught my eye. But before we get into your book series, I'd like to know, you know, what was your inspiration to become such a prolific writer? What was your inspiration? I have to say that I became a voracious reader before I became a writer. I grew up in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and it's a land that is really rich in stories, and we have so many amazing writers. So I was always surrounded by books. Um, my parents read to me, my sisters read to me, my aunt read to me. So as soon as I was able to read, I became a reader. And there came a time when I realized that I would love to do that. I would love to have my own stories to share my view of the wor world. And I put a pencil to paper for the first time. So as I stated in from your bio, you signed a publishing contract at around 19 years old, but I imagine you started writing earlier, you know, before you actually signed the contract. About what age did you start writing stories down? The first time I wrote a fictional story from beginning to end that wasn't an assignment, I was about 12. I remember it was the birthday of one of my favorite teachers. She had always encouraged me uh, to be the best I can be, and I wanted to give her a gift. So I wrote a story just for her. It was the first time that I really had... Um, a, a well-built plot for a story. Then um, that really encouraged me to see the way she reacted. So I tried a few times to to create a few stories here and there. Some of them were not completed. Some of them were almost there, but they were missing something. Then I started journaling a little bit. My sister um, came to visit on vacation, she was studying in the U.S. 
um, she she went to college, so she came back for the summer, and she brought me a journal. And with journaling, I could really be myself, and that's when I really started writing a lot of stories. Then my sister read the stories. She told me that she liked them. She was kind of impressed. And I continued writing until I realized that I had a book in me. So I finished my first book when I was 13, but I didn't do much with it. I just put it away because I'm a kid and, okay, I'm done with the story. I'm not thinking necessarily about publishing. Then my aunt discovered that story and she encouraged me to look for a publisher and get the book out. Do you remember the name of that first story, that first book that that you uh, completed? And what was oh, yeah. what was it about? Absolutely. The first book was entitled The Fire of Revenge and it was horror. I've always been fascinated by mystery and in not only exploring my Haitian roots, but also the dynamics that exist within Haitian families. So it was a story of a girl who moves into a new house. You know, the traditional um, story of leaving one place to go to another place and encountering strange phenomen, a strange phenomenon. So that's what happened with her. And um, there was, the setting was purely Haitian and the interactions with family members were also purely Haitian. So it was my my um I was showing just not in, not just how proud I was of my roots, mm-hmm. but acute interest in just uh, writing mysterious stories. Let me ask you this: Who did you have any authors coming up that really inspired you? Who was your favorite author, if you have one? My favorite authors were Haitian. Um, I can name Gary Victor, who writes mysteries, um, is, and is also very great at, um, making statements about Haitian society and, and all the issues that we face there. There was also, um, Margaret Papillon was also Haitian, and she, she was one of the first female writers of Haitian descent that I read. Growing up in Haiti, um, the, the, one of the main languages is French, the other one is Haitian Creole. When I was a kid, it was still very taboo to speak Haitian Creole. It was considered improper. It was considered a bastard language. Thankfully, this has changed. Mm. But back then, everything was in French. So we got a lot of books coming from Europe and from, um, the French Caribbean, from Canada. And I did not get to read um, female writers of Haitian descent until I was a teenager. So um, it was really life-affirming to discover her because as a little girl, I wanted to know that I could become um, a writer and that there were female writers um, who were just, doing it were successful in their journey. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. How important is it that young people 
uh, as we, you know, find out we have a talent and we aspire to work in that area. How important is it that we see people who, who look like us, who we can identify with in those fields? How important was that to you? Oh, Scotty, it's crucial. I mean, I remember the first time that I was, that I wrote in Creole, for instance. Creole is such a big part of who I am, and yet I wasn't necessarily allowed to speak it. Um, And the first time I wrote in Creole, I felt like I truly found myself. And it's the same thing about writing work by people who look like you. You feel affirmed in who you are because um, although any good literature is supposed to be accessible to people who are different, right? That's what Mm -hmm. literature does. Literature opens up doors, so literature doesn't have to come from someone who's exactly like you. But after having read so many stories, so many books by other people, I was thirsty for stories that where I could feel that I'm part of of this, I'm part of something big. Um, This writer is like me. She's writing about people who look like me, who who are going through similar circumstances. It it was really, really life-affirming. Right. Now, you did... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to add that um, I meet a lot of young people who only recently started to find literature that they could relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the reasons I, I wrote uh, some of my latest books, uh, the books that are part of the Badass Black Girl series. Because growing up, I read so many self-empowerment books, uh, motivational books, self-help books, because I always wanted to to do something with my life, you know. So I was reading all those books that teach you about how to be successful. But a lot of the topics that they covered, um, although they were great, they did not necessarily translate my own experience. Um, They were very um, middle class, white America, and I was just a little girl, a little black girl in the Caribbean, and a lot of the scenarios that they were describing in those books, I could not relate to because I was dealing with things like colorism. And when I moved to the United States, I was dealing with things like um, racism and trying to find my place as an immigrant um, in America. So those books were not a map that I could follow. So um, when I became a teacher and realized that many of those issues were still present in our community um, where where young black girls, young black men did not necessarily have the resources that they needed to empower themselves to have this private moment with a book telling them uh, how they can improve their daily lives, I decided to write the Badass Black Girl series, and now I'm working on a series for the boys. Okay, so let's get into the series. Um, okay, there's three books that's included. It, am I correct? There's three books that's included in the Badass Black Girl series? You're correct. The first one is Badass Black Girl. Then we have Empowered Black Girl, and the last one is Resilient Black Girl. Okay. Now, 
You mentioned, are these fictionals or are these self-help books? How would you describe so, them? Those are self-help books, empowerment books. So they marked my transition from fiction to nonfiction. Okay. So for a long time, um, as I mentioned, I wrote fiction. I was really a horror buff, so I wrote a lot of horror um, stories, mysteries. Then I decided that my writing needed to be more purposeful when I became a teacher. So first I wrote a memoir, so nonfiction. Then I decided, you know, I need to offer a a, a map, um, a, a guide for young people. So um, I came up with the series. Okay. Can you give us a synopsis of of all three of the books if you will, let's start with Badass Black Girl. Was that the first in the series? Yes, Badass Black Girl is the first in the series. It's a book that allows the reader to um, dis- rediscover the greatness that exists within themselves. What it means to be a powerful black young girl. So um, there are many little lessons, if I can call them this way, kind of um, nuggets of wisdom. But the most important part is the fact that I provide some role models. Mm -hmm. So while they're learning about um, things about themselves that they can change and how to change those those things and how not to change other aspects of themselves that are very important and sacred, they're also learning about all their ancestors. So um, they, they, they're learning about women who have been very successful in business, women who have been very successful in sports, some, some of the black women who have been very instrumental in shaping um, the U.S. into the place that it is today. So they get a little bit of wisdom, and at the same time, they get a lot of um, knowledge in, about black history, and they also get to to do hands-on act, activities because I include a lot of journal prompts and activities that they can do um, on their own so that they can become more acquainted with themselves. One of the things that you said that that really interests me was when you said you're talking about things they can change about themselves, but things not to change about themselves. Now, as a as a person, I spent like six years in the military and it's all about conforming. Um, it is a bit of a culture shock for some people and you do have to conform. But I also found that when I held jobs in the corporate uh, world, you know, I had a couple of management positions and I was always expected to conform. And when, in the way that I'm talking about conforming is my appearance. I once had, had, uh, locks in my hair for about three years and they were really long. And then I had an opportunity to get um, employment with this really great company and it was really great pay behind it. And the person who got me the opportunity told me that the department head that I will be interviewing with, that it would be best if you cut your hair. 
and, and conform to, you know, more traditional corporate standards of, you know, short hair and what have you for, for African Americans. And, and I, and I just really hated that I allowed myself to do that. Is that some sort of similar to what you're talking about when you say not conforming or changing things? One thing that I always tell people, particularly the young people that I write for, is that they have choices and they need to remember that. Um, they have choices and one thing they need to make sure is that they understand the reason why they're making a choice. Um, for instance, I have, since we're talking about physical appearance, I have nothing against um permed hair, for instance. I have nothing against extensions. Um, by the same token, I do believe that a natural hair is beautiful, natural black hair. But I'm not going to judge somebody who chooses um, to perm their hair, for instance, mm -hmm. or to use extensions as soon as they know why they're doing it, that it's really their choice, that maybe they just love the way it looks or maybe it's easier for them to manage. Whatever the reasons, I just want to make sure that they know that those reasons have to be theirs. So if they're um, choosing a job, for instance, and the job is asking them to conform, they need to make sure that they explore other opportunities, other jobs, right? Mm -hmm. And then they can say, you know what, I'm choosing this particular job. I know that it's going to come with some sacrifices, things I'm going to change. But if they're not willing to change, if it goes against what they really feel at, at the core, right, mm -hmm. then they have choices. They can use some, um, they can go somewhere else or they can become um, that person who changes the culture that is already established, but they have to be willing to, right? Because mm -hmm. some people... Um, they 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 don't want to be that one person who disturbs. Right. Some people are okay with disturbing. So it's a matter of choosing what is it that you're willing to do. If you're really um, willing to disturb the status quo, I would say go for it. Do not change your 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 hair. Do do not change who you are, um, and just disturb. But if you don't want the attention, if you would rather go to a place that is al already accepting of those things, I would say, well, then you choose another environment. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's a sad reality, but people will judge you based on the way you look. Right. And personally, it's my choice that I'm not going to change the way I look, even if I'm being judged. Mm -hmm. um, I I will go with my natural hair. I will go with my with my little braids, even though um, that's not a, what everyone else might think is appropriate for work. But it's me. Someone in, in someone else might not might not be accepting of the fact that they're being judged, so they change it. But are they aware that they're changing it for? that particular reason. I encourage people to be aware. I'm not going to just judge the choice that you make um, ultimately because at the end of the day, you have to pay the bill. Right. But I'm asking that you remain aware of the choices that you make so that you can at least ask yourself, 
am I doing this for the right reason and am I doing the right thing? Yeah. Now, I, I did it for the right reason because it was going to improve the quality of life of my family. Um, I had exactly. three children. And so I felt like, okay, I can make that sac- sacrifice. But what disturbed me was that once I got the job, now I'd have been very angry if I didn't get the job, but I ended up getting the, getting the job. And then I found out that I did not have to cut my hair. You know, I, I really didn't have to cut my hair. And, but that was like maybe 15, 20 years ago. I noticed today that corporate corporations are, are a lot more accepting of our, of our natural hair as African descendant people. For sure. Maybe not everywhere in America, but I, I, I can say in most places of America, that's for sure. Now, the second book is Empowered Black Girl. And so, again, these are not works of fiction. Uh, these are nonfiction books. These are self-help books. And so what what kind of information would one find in Empowered Black Girl? Empowered Black Girl is a book that the schools really love because um, they're always trying to find books that will interest the kids that they will actually check out and take home. And that's one of them, a very positive book about um, how to create affirmations for yourself Mm. so that you're motivated, so that you can change your way of thinking, so that you can improve your determination, your, your drive. So Empowered Black Girl is really focused on affirmations. Um, it's inspired by the wisdom that we received from our ancestors. So a lot of those women who came before us who left their, their mark, right? So you have a lot of quotes from Maya Angelou, for instance. Um, you have quotes from people who are still among us, for instance, a lot of quotes from Serena Williams, um, quotes from Beyonce, people in all walks of life, from writers to um, doctors, business um, people, just so that um, the reader can learn to use that, that wisdom and apply it to their lives. So in addition to having all those inspiring words, by other people, they also learn to create their own affirmations. Um, but in addition to that, in, there's always this learning process, right? Mm-hmm. I mentioned that in Badass Black Girl, there are lessons. Um, in Empowered Black Girl, there's also some lessons that in the, the reader learns. For instance, um, we talk a lot these days about being an activist, right? whether you're trying to stand up against racism, whether you're trying to stand up against child abuse. There, there are many valuable causes. So how can you change the world even if you don't become a full-blown activist? What are little things that you can do every day so that you change your world? And, of course, changing the world starts with changing you, right? Mm -hmm. So there is um, a chapter about how do you love yourself 
because many of us, we don't love ourselves. We think we do. We think that because we spend so much time with ourselves 24-7, we, we know ourselves and we love ourselves. But in reality, there's so much more to learn. There, there is a loving relationship that we need to learn to establish with ourselves. So I talk a little bit about that, and I talk about uh, family relationships and um, friendships and work relationships. I talk about different aspects of life and um, how you can have a, a shift in the way you see those relationships and how in order for you to work on those relationships, you can um, create affirmations for yourself so that every day is a new opportunity to improve those relationships. Now, perhaps I should have asked this uh, earlier, but what's the what's the target age range for these books? Um, the books are meant mostly for young adults. Young adults. So 16, 16 and up. Okay. But funnily enough, I get a lot of emails and messages on social media from adults, um, people in their 30s, even in their 40s, who write to me to tell me, you know what, I got your book for my daughter, and then I got a copy for myself because I fell in love with the book. Um, because those lessons are, are um, pieces of wisdom, nuggets of wisdom, Timeless. that we're going to need for, for life, right? Mm-hmm. So some people would not get to learn those things when they were younger. They're really excited about learning about them now. I was lucky enough to come from a very difficult place, not just in terms of growing up in Haiti, which is such a complicated country, but I also come from a very complicated family. Um, I used to see it as a curse, but now I see it as a blessing because it really forced me to think outside the box and learn how to survive mentally, emotionally. It, it, it molded you. Your experiences molded you. And unfortunately for some people, experiences can can really cripple them in life, um, especially at a young age. But for other people, they seem to overcome and those challenges and those challenges seem to prepare them for bigger things. Yes. I mean, um, life can be very, very difficult and we really need to learn to take a step back and make sure that we're okay mentally because um, I think that's the difference between someone who makes it in the end and someone who doesn't. Mm. The person who's going through trouble, who's going through tough times and doesn't take the time to just um, soothe themselves and make sure that they're okay that they're doing what they have to do to uh, make it another day. Um, I mean, those people who don't take those steps, they're the ones who don't make it in the end. Um, Those who make it are those who make sure that they take time to breathe. They make time to talk themselves out of the darkness. Mm. They, They make sure that they look for help. Those are the people who are going to make it. Mm. 
And the last book, it, it appears as I'm looking, you know, at your website, it appears that the last book in the Badass Black Girl series is a coloring book. Is that correct? Um, there is a coloring book that comes with Badass Black Girl, but the last book is actually um, Resilient Black Girl. It's Resilient coming out Black Girl. In, yes, it's coming out soon, and it's another, um, another self-help empowerment book so this one is all about how to survive in a world that tends to be very racist Mm -hmm. so that's one thing for instance i never learned as a kid so when i came to the u.s and i was faced with racism in my 20s it was a culture shock because I came from an all-black nation. There, there were issues of colorism, but mm. I had never been hated overtly for being black. Mm. So um, this book is just, um, it to, I wanted to make sure that the reader has the tools that um, she needs so that she can prepare herself for certain situations so she can deal with certain situations um, without ever doubting herself that um, she recognizes how great, how awesome, how extraordinary it is to be black mm-hmm. while also being aware of uh, the hurdles that exist for young black girls. And Resilient uh, Black Girl, will it be out this year? Yes, it's coming out in September. September. I'm really, really excited. Um, so very soon it's going to be available in stores and it's available right now for pre-order actually. Mm-hmm. And what is badassblackgirl.com? Is that the preferred avenue that you would like people to go through to get your books? Um, that's, that's one way to get it, to get those books. Yes. Badass Black Girl and all the links are there. The book is also available on Amazon. I always encourage people to, to go to their local bookstores okay. and ask for the book there because those local bookstores really need our support. Yes, they so do. So if you're going to buy a book, even if they don't have it at that particular store, you can ask for it. Right, right. I'm glad you mentioned that because we are losing, you know, just like the reason that I'm into Internet radio is because here in the United States, um, starting in the 90s, we started losing, you know, black radio stations with black voices, you know, talking about the issues that were pertinent to those communities. And we really have since the 1990s due, due to the telecommunications act where it allowed corporations to own more than two. Uh, I think they can own up to eight different stations in any given market. And that kind of killed black terrestrial radio and so i saw that as a problem and i found the solution was internet radio and um started you know teaching others how to use this technology to replace what we've lost and you are correct in terms of we're losing a lot of the the neighborhood corner bookstores as well especially black owned bookstores and it's very important to support those yes yes um I mean, bookstores are struggling for sure, and particularly in black communities where the resources are 
already limited. We have to support those businesses. Um, they rely on us because um, we're we're the village who's supposed to support them. Right, right. Now, um, in the time that we have left, I would like to transition to um, tennis player Naomi Osaka, who whose father is from Port-au-Prince, uh, Haiti as well, um, and her mother being of Japanese um, descent. And so the reason that I wanted to discuss her with you is because she's a black woman like you are. And, you know, she took this extraordinary step that I've never seen in professional sports of withdrawing from tournaments to to take care of her mental health. That kind of and that kind of like wrinkled some feathers uh, in the tennis world. And, and, you know, I just didn't understand why these other people couldn't understand that, hey, social anxiety is a real thing. And if she needs to take a step back from these circus-like press conferences to preserve her mental health, then why why are you angry? You know, it seemed to me that you want her playing in a tournament and not necessarily participating in press conferences because all the money is made on the court, not in the press conference. I mean, what what did you catch any of that story? And what are your thoughts about her extraordinary steps as a professional athlete to take the steps that she did? I commend her, Scotty. Let me tell you something about mental health. I've had so many conversations about it with professionals, with people suffering from depression and anxiety. And the truth of the matter is there's a lot of talk, but a lot of people still don't understand what it takes to remain mentally healthy. Um, When you talk about anxiety or depression, for instance, a lot of people think that you're just having a bad day or if you are in a position that is seen as favorable, let's say that you you have success, you're 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 famous, you're you you have money. People will say, "Well, what's the big deal? You have all those things. Your life cannot be that bad." But depression and anxiety have nothing to do with your social status, with your uh, profession. In, those two beasts, depression and anxiety, will have you lose your mind no matter who you are. Mm. And what Naomi is doing is what is best. You do need to take time for yourself to deal with those issues. I'm glad that she's not listening to those people who are, who are judging her for what she's doing because when you need to take care of yourself, you need to take care of yourself. Those people are not going to be there once you have an episode. Um, Take about all those people who commit suicide. Take about all those people who have to to be hospitalized because they're under so much stress, under so much scrutiny. This thing is real. Mm-hmm. There, there's no playing around. When you start having those dark thoughts, when you start uh, crumbling under the pressure, uh, being brave is not always sucking it up and moving on and going on with your day. Uh, being brave is stepping back 
and taking care of yourself. You know, it's your responsibility uh, toward yourself, and it's your right mm. to be healthy. You know, and I don't think people realize the pressure that she's under outside of just being a professional tennis player, one of the best in the world at one time ranked number one. I think she's ranked number two. But I was uh, reading about her father and her father, how he got inspiration from uh, Richard Williams, you know, the father of, of, um, wow, their names, Venus and Serena, uh, those two, and how Naomi's father kind of followed his model and said, hey, he already did the blueprint. Now we just had to follow it. But I Uh I, I had read a headline that Naomi had gotten some, I'm going to just call it some hate thrown her way because she decided to participate in the Olympics on as a Japanese national in which that is where she was born. So that is her nationality is, is uh, Japanese. But when I was reading about her father saying that it's important that she represents Japan because they want to combat anti-blackness and racism in Japan. I did not know that in the 90s, it was illegal. They had miscegenation laws in Japan, that it was illegal for her father, Naomi's father, and her mother to date, let alone to to get married and procreate. And so she has that added weight on her that I hadn't even known about of trying to, 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 to attack this stigma of anti-blackness in Japan. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, people will judge without even looking at the information. So um, you heard um, that there was hate, and you looked it up, you did some research, which you would expect any normal person to do. But in reality, people will judge without bothering to look up the information. So if you're expecting to be appreciated, loved, and adored by everyone, it just doesn't happen because people are always looking for the next scandal, the, ne- the next reason to, to um, criticize. And the reality is that this woman is dealing with so much, and she's, she managed to do so much under pressure that now that she's asking for a break, we need to give it to her. And I say we need to give it to her because um, now that she's taking a break, you would you would want really for her to be to be able to take this time just to focus on getting better. And now she has to kind of defend herself and um, justify having to take time in for her mental health, which is ridiculous. Yes. Nobody should have to go through this. Um, I mean, she has a very rich um, ancestry, right? She, her, her dad being from Haiti, and I know that all that this Caribbean heritage carries in terms of um, beauty, but in, also in in terms of taboos, right? Um, in the Caribbean, it's so taboo to even mention mental health. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she is from two different places 
and she's always put in a position where she feels that she has to choose one or the other when that's not really the point. She she is on a mission and she has um, values that she wants to uphold. So yes, in the case of representing Japan, I was totally on her side. Um, she comes from uh, very difficult circumstances. The racism over there is very tough. Things m- might have become legal, but it's still very tough to be a person of color over there. So she chose to represent it, her country to dismantle um, those ideas, those prejudices. I mean, you go, Naomi, really. I'm so proud of her. Hey, uh, here's an ideal. Have you ever thought about sending her your badass black girl series? I would love to send her my book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I should. I, you know what? I will. Yeah, you should. You should do that. Because <laughs> she is. She's one badass black girl, you know? And, and, and this is right. I feel like your books speak to what she's going through, sort of. Yeah, she, I mean, she's amazing. And um, a lot of the conversations that I have with my readers when they email me, when they send me DMs, um, we talk a lot about the kind of depression that nobody not- notices. You have a lot of people who are high ach- achievers and they suffer from depression. They suffer from anxiety. It's just mm. that they're very good at faking it, mm-hmm. right? So um, the image that we usually have of someone who's anxious is someone who's at home, in their bed, they're, they're, they're depressed, they can't get out of bed, um, they, you don't see them for days, mm-hmm. and they look so sad. But the reality is a lot of um, depressed people, people dealing with depression, they're very, they, they look very happy. Mm-hmm. You'll see a lot of comedians, they're making you laugh, they're laughing, mm-hmm. and then before you know it, you hear that they're no longer with us because they were suffering from depression. And um, that type of high-functioning depression, high-functioning anxiety is the most dangerous mm-hmm. because people don't always see that you need help. And that's why it's so brave from Naomi to be able to take time off because no one would have known if she hadn't said anything. No one would have said, you, you know what, are you okay? You need to take a break. Right. So realizing on her own that she needs the time is the most beautiful thing that could happen to her because she's able to take care of those needs. Yes. I think the biggest thing um, or impact she's having is I'm seeing other athletes following her footsteps about, you know, taking time off and taking care of themselves because especially when it comes to professional athletes, they are expected to be mental, quote unquote, mentally tough. They're supposed to be able to take it. And these are human beings just like anybody else in any other profession. And they're human beings with human needs. And, and so I just really was really, um, inspired to see her be a trailblazer in self care in professional sports because a lot of these yeah. athletes, they just go out and they perform as expected and they don't really, 
you know, think that they, they don't really feel empowered to do what she did. So I, I, I remember in, in the realm of sports in, in tennis, I remember when, um, Serena Williams came out, um, and told us about how she was dealing with postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. Um, not many people talk about that kind of depression either. Mm-hmm. Um, how you, your, the, something that is supposed to be one of the most wonderful, exciting, thrilling events of your life, right? You're giving birth can come with depression and really make you incapable of functioning. So, um, people with a platform, people like Serena, people like Naomi, it's really important for them to, um, be role models to show, you know what, when something is wrong, you need to address it, whether it's because you're, you're working too much, you, you suffer from anxiety, from depression, from uh, because of the scrutiny or for another reason, uh, whether it's because you just gave birth and you feel totally depressed, it's okay for you to take time off yes. and just find yourself and the last um topic that i would like to discuss with you briefly you know with with you you know being of haitian descent being from uh the island and right now you know there's a lot of anxiety concern with the uh, assassination of president moise i believe that's how you pronounce his name and yeah and you know i'm still trying to figure out What's going on there? I, uh, I have, um, sort of an ideal, but I don't have all the facts, I'm sure. But I am very concerned about what's going on there. Is there anything yes. that you would like to share as a, as a Haitian? Absolutely. I mean, I can give a brief background. Um, you know, the president came in power very late because the elections were questionable. So for a long time, people were wondering whether he was legitimate. Mm -hmm. So he took power very late. So he decided that once his mandate expired, that he would stay a little bit longer Mm. because he had started so late. So a lot of people thought it was unconstitutional. So he had been, they had been threatening him even before all this happened. And unfortunately, um, he is taking, um, his being in the palace also coincided with, um, a spike in insecurity, a lot of kidnappings. I personally know people who were taken from their family and returned weeks later for mm-hmm. ransom. Um, and those events were daily. And um, money was tight, tighter than usual, because, as you know, Haiti is a beautiful and and culturally rich country, but we struggle with a lot of poverty. Things got much worse under him, so people were really unhappy, a lot of protests. But, um, I mean, we did not see that murder coming. And I don't care how somebody feels about him as a president. It's wrong. It's wrong to to take a life, particularly when there are other ways, right, to to change a country. Mm-hmm. So 
Uh, right now, the country is in lockdown. Um, I still have family over there. Um, they, they're, they're stuck at home. I mean, there are places that are open, like hospitals are open because they're still dealing with um, a lot of COVID cases while it, all this is happening. Mm-hmm. So a few places are open, but in general, the situation is very, very difficult. Um, the funeral is taking place this week of the president, but even now that the investigation is still on the way and they're getting closer to figuring out what really happened, mm-hmm. it's going to be a long way before we can go back to a semblance of normalcy. Mm. Well, certainly I would like to keep Haiti and ask my audience to keep Haiti in your prayers right now, because as you mentioned, they still like the rest of us dealing with COVID, the pandemic, um, cases are starting to spike up and, and now you have this political turmoil. So, you know, I just would like the uh, people of Haiti to know that we're thinking about them. Is there anything that you would like to say in closing and please promote any of the websites or Instagram accounts that you have where people can get in touch with you and follow you? Absolutely. My website is badassblackgirl.com and I spend most of my time um, on Instagram when I'm on social media and my tag there, my handle is at badassblackgirlbook. So those are the easiest way to contact me through the website. You can send me a message or you can contact me through IG. And I want to leave you with those words. If you haven't expressed your feelings today, your love for the people who are closest to you, whether it's a family member, whether it's it's a good friend, I encourage you to just let them know that they are important because so often we take people for granted or people feel taken for granted. Today is the day where you can make a difference and let them know that you appreciate them, that you love them. So uh, one task today, go, go to your husband or wife, go to your mother, go to a sibling, to a best friend, to a teacher, to a mentor, uh, let them know that you care very much about them. MJ Fierre, thank you for speaking with us this evening, and we hope to have you back when the next series, the next book in the Badass Black Girl series comes out. You have a great evening. Thank you, Scotty. Have a good day, everyone. Hello, this is Scotty Reed, and thank you for listening to this podcast and sharing it with others. Please consider making a donation to the U.S.-based nonprofit media organization, Black Talk Media Project, in support of its efforts to elevate independent black voices. You can also support the work by joining the network's social media community, BTR Community, for just $24 a year. Black Talk Media Project is leading the way in the production of grassroots black media.